0: Hi, I'm Morgan Block, and you're listening to Climate Curiosities, the podcast where I connect you with real climate science and policy experts to address some of the most common curiosities about climate change. Today's episode, what can we actually do about climate change? And what is San Diego already doing? Thankfully, we have sustainability expert, Cody Hooven here from the city of San Diego to help us answer this question. Cody is the director of the sustainability department and the first chief sustainability officer for the city of San Diego. She leads sustainability implementation and policy with emphasis on economic development and social equity. Our team is exploring how technology, renewable energy, mobility, green buildings, and climate resilience are included in San Diego's approach to sustainable, smart communities. So thank you so much for coming on the show virtually today with us, Cody. No problem. Um, Thank you. Yeah. Before we dive too much into the policy, I like to start out with introducing ourselves kind of in a fun way. So just sharing like two fun curiosities about ourselves. I'll start so you can think about yours. Growing up, I always told people I wanted to be a U.S. ambassador. (laughs) And in a way, I did become an ambassador, but for the climate, for climate change. And my second kind of fun fact is I'm one of those really weird people who love both math and science and English and literature. So that's kind of how I ended up in my master's program because it combines both climate science and climate policy and communication. So I just love that. Cody, do you have (laughs) facts about
1: yourself? Oh, sure. Let's see what's appropriate to share. Um, (laughs) So one thing is I, um, prior to coming to San Diego, I lived in Hawaii for a while and I worked, my my job was doing sea turtle research, um, which was as fantastic as it sounds. And so part of that job is working with turtles that are injured and helping them with rehab. And so there's been a couple times where I have either resuscitated a sea turtle or helped them to breathe on almost like a ventilator because they've come out of surgery and need to be on a vent for a while until they come out of their anesthesia. And they're so slow, turtles are, their metabolism is so slow that they take a long time to come out of anesthesia (laughs) and we'd have to move them off the real vent. And so I'd kind of sit there and squeeze this manual breathing bag for them every minute until they woke up. Wow, that's crazy. (laughs) Yeah, it's pretty fun and very random. Another random curiosity is I'm very much into fermenting things. So I sometimes brew beer and I'm also currently brewing kombucha in my cabinet
0: (laughs) right now. Wow, yum. (laughs) Well, great. That's awesome. I love to get to know people more personally before we... (laughs) Get into everything. I would really love for us to address the city's goals. I know one of the biggest things that you're working on and that the city has released is the San Diego Climate Action Plan. Mm -hmm. And it's pretty ambitious. It calls for eliminating half of all greenhouse gas emissions in the city and aims for all electricity used in the city to be made from renewables by 2035. And its goals say that it wants to reduce greenhouse gas emissions by 15% by this year, 2020. So how close are we to achieving those goals and the goal for 2020? So the goal for 2020,
1: we've actually surpassed already. Uh, We're at about a 21% reduction from our baseline, which, as you stated, our target was 15% by 2020. So the 21% reduction is actually from last year. I imagine we're not going to backslide that much. So I'm pretty confident we're reaching our 2020 goals. But to me, the one that I focus on is 2035. That's a deeper cut to our missions. It's going to be harder, right? So the the first 15, 20% is what we like to say, low-hanging fruit. It's not the hardest thing to get there. So while we're on a really excellent trajectory downward, we're not resting on our laurels because we have a lot more work to do. And we're currently also rethinking our goals for 2035 and beyond. We want to set new targets for 2050. And those are going to be even more dramatic of a downward trajectory, you know, 80% reduction or even uh, net zero or whatever we want to actually, we're we're working on what what that should look like now and, and taking input from the public. So we have a lot of work to do and 2035 sounds far away, but it's not really.
0: Right. So when you say low hanging fruit for this first 15, 20%, what changes were made to reduce that?
1: A couple things. So our grid got cleaner. So in 2010, when we started thinking about this plan and putting some numbers together, there was almost no renewable electricity on our grid. And now there's about 45% renewable in our grid here. That helped a lot, obviously. That's probably going to stall out from the utility side. So sdg is our utility provider of power they're going to plateau at about 60% because that's what the state has said they have to do for now. One of the goals that we set is to go beyond that and actually make our grid 100% renewable for our residents and businesses and the city facilities. The other low-hanging fruit, I think, are things that got us to where we are is we saw a lot of residential energy use reduction over the, this time frame, And that's probably a lot to do with people just looking for ways to save money and taking advantage of financing that lets them upgrade their homes, replace their light bulbs, just doing it out of pocket because they see the savings that they get from the smaller actions they could take like that. But we saw a pretty dramatic reduction in residential energy use over this time frame and that that helped a lot. And then, of course, other things contributed as well. The increasing in waste diversion to recycling and composting has been helping with those emissions reductions. So I'd say the area that we haven't seen a big decrease is in our mobility and transportation space. We're still working on that.
0: Right. And so is that the biggest contributor to the greenhouse gases in San Diego?
1: Yeah. Transportation overall is the biggest contributor.
0: And so what are the next steps in addressing those issues and trying to reach our goals by 2035?
1: So a couple of things. We're still working on the actions that we already set for our, our initial climate action plan, which was, and I would say still is pretty ambitious. So we adopted our current climate action plan for the city in 2015, and have been implementing that ever since. And then we are, at the same time right now, starting a new update to that plan. So we're starting kind of with public outreach. We have a survey right now on our website, uh, collecting public input on what things they're interested in seeing us do more of, is that they can see benefit to themselves. And we're going to update our entire climate action plan and refresh all of our goals for a longer term, as I mentioned earlier. So that's kind of one of the bigger things we can do. And and yeah, I mean, public input is important because we really need a lot of the things that we can do, the city can do themselves. We can change out the power that's delivered to you without you really even knowing and it's greener, but there's a lot of things that people need to do. And transportation is probably the hardest one because it requires a lot of behavior change.
0: Yeah, I actually filled out that survey, saw it on Instagram, which is great. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah, it was very mind-opening. Well, you've mentioned... Energy a couple times. So I just would love to talk about that for a second. Community choice energy has just been passed in San Diego. Can you explain, like, what that is and how does it change individual lives in San Diego and how does it actually help climate change?
1: Sure. So, community choice energy, or the legal term is community choice aggregation, is enabled by state law and it allows local governments, either an individual local government or a collection of them, to go out and procure power for their residents and businesses and themselves. So currently, you get your electricity from San Diego Gas and Electric, and there's no other choice for you. You don't get to pick your provider, decide who's greener or who's cheaper. You don't have any choices, which as consumers, we're so used to having so many choices for the same product. And electricity and natural gas right now, you don't, at least in our region. So we decided that we wanted to go, one of the biggest sources of our emissions and one of the biggest levers we can pull to reduce our emissions is to clean up our electricity that's provided to us and go all the way to 100% renewable. And so the only way to do that and really have control over where that power comes from and the the type of power, how green it is, is for us to take over the buying of that power. So we formed a, a CCA program, a community choice program called San Diego Community Power. San Diego formed that through a joint, like a cooperative with four other cities in the region. And we just formed in October and we're in the startup phase. We're a new, essentially a new business adopting HR policies and procurement policies and all of that. Plus we're also putting together plans for going out to buy power and what that looks like. Electricity is traded on a market and it's a commodity. So we're putting together a strategy for how much renewable we think we can buy based on the the cost of power as we project it into the market. How much do we need to buy? How, when? What's our schedule for even launching? There's so many details. We're, we're working on it. It's super fun. It's a big initiative. And we plan to start serving customers next year in 2021.
0: Okay, great. And how does that change the cost for individuals? How do they choose which one? Yeah, so what customers, a
1: lot of people don't even notice it happens because most people don't spend a lot of time looking at their electricity bills, unfortunately. There was a statistic that said people spend about eight minutes a year thinking about their electricity uh, bills. So we are required to send out notices to customers and say, hey, there's this new organization in town. They're going to take over procurement of your power. You still receive one bill. So you'll have one bill that says the delivery of your power. That's, that's one charge, right? The transmission and distribution of power. SDGE still owns that system. And now you'll see a second line item that says the commodity, so the purchase of the electrons. And you'll see another line item, and it'll say San Diego Community Power and, and this amount. We'll notify customers that there's a new provider of the power and that they're, they've they been put into that service and they have the choice to opt out. So what it really does from the consumer side Either you don't notice at all or you do notice and now gives you a choice, right? When you go to the store and you're shopping for something, if you have a choice, you look at different things, the quality, the price, and it puts power in the consumer's hands, and that creates incentive to offer good products. And um, so that's ultimately what we hope that the residents and businesses here will see. In addition to that, because we are a not for profit, you know, local organization, everything we do is Community based. So, any profit we make gets invested back in the community. There's no shareholders that will take a, a profit off this organization. Everything we do will look at okay, if we have some extra revenue this year and, and we've paid all of our bills, can we incentivize vehicle charging for residents and businesses? Can we incentivize rooftop solar further and provide a discount there? Can we electrify buses or w- whatever else we can do to cleaner power into our communities and make that a benefit?
0: That's great. Kind of transitioning over to individual action and individual choice, as you have said. How, other than energy, how is the city making it easier for individuals to make sustainable choices? Some of the biggest issues that we've already talked about is transportation, but also zero waste initiatives like recycling Mm -hmm. and composting. I know for myself, almost impossible to catch a bus or public transportation. So how, how is the city trying to make it more accessible to people?
1: Yeah, so unfortunately, the way a lot of cities, especially in California and in the West Coast, we built out our cities to be dependent on cars, It's just the way the cities were designed. So it's easier to get somewhere right now with a car. In LA, that's, that has changed because of traffic and the congestion they have there. But here, it's still, even when we have bad traffic, quote unquote, there's not that many areas that the traffic is so bad that it's faster to take transit. There are some though, and we see a lot of residents using, especially if their workplace incentivizes or funds some of their transit passes, we'll see people using transit. What we're trying to do now is rethink the way that we plan our city to make it so that transit is easier or or biking is easier and walking is easier and safer. We hear a lot too that people want a bike, but they don't feel safe because the bike lanes are just a little thin white painted line and you're going next to cars that are going 40 miles an hour or faster and that's not very safe feeling. So we're trying to build out bike lanes that are fully protected. So there's a somewhat of a barrier between the biker and the cars. Or we're looking at can we incentivize housing and workplace development near transit stops so that it's actually easier for you for you to get from work to home using transit or a bike lane or, or walking and, and bringing those things closer. So it's, it's reversing the concept of this urban sprawl where everything is so far away from each other that it's really, really, really expensive to build transit all over the city if you can condense those routes and intensify the development of either residential spaces or workplaces in those areas, and they're much, much better connected. So we're doing a lot of that. That takes a lot of time though. That's just the work that the city is doing and uh, other regional governments and the we have a regional transportation planning agency called SANDAG. Those are the things we're working on. They take a long time to build and every single thing we do, there's opposition to it. So here's an example. We're trying to build a bike lane, a protected bike lane in North Park, from North Park to South Park. And there's tons of opposition from residents, maybe not a very big group, but they're very vocal saying this is going to impact. Businesses because now you're taking away some of the parking for people that visit those businesses. They're going to take away parking. Then I use the street to park my personal vehicle where I live, which is again not a—it's a public space, so you shouldn't be dependent on public space for your personal residence. But that's the way things have evolved. So having voices of people, especially like you, that come out and say, "No, we actually support this." Those aren't those voices aren't always as loud because they like what we're doing, so they kind of stay quiet and they're busy going to school or work or whatever getting engaged in those types of initiatives and and lending your voice to that is actually really helpful.
0: When I filled out the city's survey, I know one of the questions, especially now with the new coronavirus quarantines and stay-at-home orders, right now a lot of people are working from home, saving them gas and having to use transportation. So do you think that telecommuting will become more prominent in the future and help Mm -hmm. kind of reduce some of those transportation emissions?
1: Mm -hmm. I do think so. And part of the survey that we released, we asked a question about if you've changed anything in your own behavior related to COVID-19. And we're already seeing in the early responses, such a, a huge response to, yes, I'm now telecommuting, working from home. And so you can imagine the emissions reductions we're seeing from people not driving. And from a personal perspective, those of us who are still fortunate to be employed, we're now no longer spending money on a commute. So that's a, a personal savings. in the city like San Diego, where it's expensive to live, when you could offer up something that reduces emissions, and it also puts money back in people's bank accounts, that's huge. So it, it forced a culture shift, right? A lot of people weren't used to working from home, or just used to seeing each other in an office, or it feels like some sort of accountability and we're seeing that, oh, people are still working at home, they're being productive, and it took a little time to adjust to that. And we don't maybe fully have all the infrastructure from an an IT perspective that we need, but we can get there pretty quickly. And that's gonna definitely be something you see in our climate action plan update as a push for that.
0: And just to transition into kind of the zero waste individual action and choice, I've read the city's zero waste plan and it sounds really ambitious and great, but as an individual, how is the city making it Easier for me to divert my waste, and how much of the city's recycling is actually recycled?
1: So everything that we collect in recycling, if it is recyclable, it is recycled. So a lot of people put things in the recycle bins that are not recyclable, and that unfortunately they don't; those don't don't get recycled. But if they are recyclable, they do end up into that stream. But one of the things that people don't know here is a law here called the People's Ordinance. It's really old, and it says that residents of San Diego will never pay for waste removal. So that means that as a somebody that lives in a single family home, so I live in a single family home, I don't pay. The city has to pay to pick up my trash and my recycling. It's a, it's a free service to me. So when you, you're not charging people for that service, it's really expensive. So we have to take other revenue from the city, so other money that we could otherwise spend on different things and better services. We're now paying to pick up waste and recycling for single-family homeowners or people that live in those single-family homes. There's a lot of impacts to that. One is that because we don't make any money off of it or we, we aren't able to charge for this service, it's really hard to expand that service because it's really expensive to expand composting. Now, we are able to charge multifamily and condos and, those, and businesses and those types of things, but there's a lot of single-family homes here that are getting a, a free service. There's also an equity issue to that where if you think about lower income residents in San Diego don't always own a single family home or live in a single family home. So now they're paying for trash and recycling pickup. And those that are able to afford a home and in theory could afford to pay for the service aren't. So it it creates an inequity in in that service as well. The problem is overturning a law like that requires a two-thirds vote of the citizen's And at the last election here locally, anything on the ballot that was an increase in taxes or a charge to residents wasn't supported. It's an unfortunate thing, but a lot of San Diegans, they just don't want to pay for more services. They feel like it's already expensive to live here. And so that puts a strain on the city budget where we don't have a lot of money to provide all these services because we aren't
0: able to charge for them. Right. And so what is the city's plan with composting? So we are doing some of that now. We are looking at ways to expand that
1: composting system. And at a commercial level, it's really expensive. If you ever get a chance to go to the landfill, it's a pretty cool place to visit. It doesn't seem like it would be, but it is. Um, <laughs> and you have to install these huge industrial-sized composters that are a million dollars each in order to increase our volume. So we're looking at ways to fund that equipment so that we can expand our composting service. So we have... We have composting available in certain areas and for certain amounts of compost, but in order to increase capacity, we need to find a way to increase infrastructure that we can take to process it. And again, it comes down to cost and we're looking at ways to pay for that. On the city's website, we have these nice, easy sheets that say what you can and cannot put in the the waste and, and recycle bins. And I would encourage everybody just to take a quick look at that.
0: We've even made a video that's really awesome that helps you understand it. Okay, great. I'll definitely put a link to that in the (laughs) description for this. (laughs) So one of the questions that I've gotten a lot is with the city's plans and goals, what are the effect on jobs and changes in our economy?
1: That's a good question. We think about that a lot. I've been doing sustainability and climate change work for quite a while now. And one of the things I struggle with is a lot of my colleagues want to always talk about greenhouse gas emissions and saving the earth and doing the right thing. And that just doesn't translate well to people. So I've always been a proponent of focusing on what is the cost impact of this? What is the cost savings? How does it benefit the economy? How does it increase jobs? How does it benefit our disadvantaged communities or our communities of concern and lift them up so that they're more actively participating in the economy, which is good for everybody. So we've been tracking job growth in what we call kind of our climate action plan sectors since I've started reporting at the city on climate action. And we've seen an increase in jobs and the, those sectors are growing faster than job growth in the economy overall. So in summary, it's really good for the economy to be green. It creates more jobs. Almost everything we do around climate change also saves money. If you think about it, using less energy, using less water, those are all things that you now pay less for because they're commodities that you pay for if you use them. Renewable energy, same thing. It's cost effective, right? Once you you have to get over that hurdle of paying for the initial system, but then it pays itself off and you're saving money. Driving less saves you money. There's everything that you could do around climate change, there's a cost impact and an, an economic or job impact to that. And so we talk a lot about
0: that because it is, it's good for the economy. That's great. I'm so happy that you were able to join us. If someone was to be asked this question, and they don't have all of the knowledge and background and expertise that you have, how would you suggest that they respond?
1: I mean, I would look at our Climate Action Plan report to start there anywhere. I mean, if you take climate change out of it, everybody that's prudent with their money looks to save energy or save water or pay less for gas or drive less because it costs them to drive. So if you just remove climate change from the conversation and think about being efficient with our resources, because it saves us money. That makes sense to, that made sense to my grandfather who didn't really ever believe in climate change, but he recycled, he reused everything. Uh, it's the same principle. So I would kind of get down to the principles of what we're talking about, which is using less and being efficient with our resources and that saves us money. I think that's the angle I would take with anybody because that that's a common denominator. Wow,
0: great, thank you so much. And thank you so much for coming on the Climate Curiosities podcast show. We've learned so much from you. Thank you so much for having me. If you would like more information about the topics covered in this episode, please see the description for references. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please remember follow and subscribe to climate curiosities. See you next time.